Alrighty, well thanks for all that. We uh, are going to be in uh, Luke 16, we'll be starting Luke 16 today. We're just a couple weeks away from uh, that final week where Jesus goes into Jerusalem for that final Passover where he is the, the sacrificial lamb. Last week we uh, left off uh, where Jesus was down here in Perea uh, teaching parables and, and that's where we're going to pick up today. He's still there. And the interesting thing about this land, Perea, is this is the kind of the staging ground for a lot of the historical armies that wanted to come against Jerusalem. This is where they would stage. And it, it's, it's an interesting land for other reasons. A lot of other things happened in Scripture there. Um, it, it's obviously the east of Jerusalem. And so it's interesting because Jesus tended to always enter Jerusalem from the east. And in uh, Revelation, we have that east gate. Uh, this border between uh, Perea and Israel, near Jericho, right here, we're familiar with the stories in Jericho, is where uh, Rome would put a tax booth. So people had to kind of go through this narrow area, this gate, to head up to Jerusalem, so it was real easy for them to collect taxes there. And so a lot of amazing things happened there um, in Jesus' time. That's where he gave us that uh, story of Zacchaeus, where he met Zacchaeus, and, and uh, it was tax collector Matthew. Uh, was a Jewish tax collector for the Rome, Romans. And Jesus uh, encounters Bartimaeus there, the blind man. Um, obviously, we know Jericho as the uh, first city that uh, the Jews went into for the Promised Land and conquered it. Um, Jesus was baptized in that area in the river. So we, this is an area where a lot happened. So if you're with me, if you want to, in uh, Luke 16, down around verse 8 is where we'll pick up. Um, Jesus, before this verse that we're picking up on, that told the parable of the prodigal son. We're all familiar with that. He told um, a parable of the dishonest manager, which is kind of the tail end of what we're picking up today. And... I think one thing that comes to me as I read through some of these scriptures that we're going to read through today is, you know how the world will say there's many ways to God, there's many ways to heaven, and we know that scripture says there's only one way, but what's often forgotten is there are many ways to sin, there are many ways unto death, and Jesus spent time pointing this out to people. And the ones that really got offended by it were the Pharisees, the ones who thought that they were really good, they were obeying the law and very religious. It really offended them. But the, the common man uh, received it. 
and agreed with Jesus and, and came to Jesus. So verse 8. Um, the master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than they are people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealthy wealth to gain friends for yourself so when it's gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. This is kind of a mysterious uh, statement, isn't it? It almost seems like Jesus here. Are you telling us to be sneaky and conniving? But no, he's, he's telling us uh, the facts of the matter that we need to be shrewd. We need to be insightful. We need to be thinking about the future with our present day actions. We need to be conducting our present day actions in, a, in such a way that we are thinking about the future and how we might participate in what God's going to do in the future. And that's just a general broad brush statement because it, it comes out in many different ways. In this, this story, this parable, the dishonest steward was getting fired. And so he went around and enabled everybody to have a discount on paying back the master what they owed him. And, you know, initially we think, well, that doesn't seem right. But think about this. If you've ever um, been under collections, if you haven't paid a debt, and the collections company come after you, they'll offer you a discount mm -hmm. just to get it paid. So these people weren't paying the master, so this dishonest manager uh, figure well, maybe I can look good in the master's eyes and also develop some friends for when I'm no longer working for the master. So, Jesus isn't telling us to be dishonest, but he's acknowledging the fact here that this guy thought it through, was shrewd, and did something that the master appreciated um, and did it with a future purpose in mind. Um, next verse says, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Ouch. <laughs> I mean, this is so true. It is such a, a deep wisdom. But it kind of hurts too. Because I think we can all relate to times where we haven't been very wise with the things that were given us. We haven't been very wise with other people's uh, money or wealth or favor. And we've kind of let people down. And it goes the same in our walking with Christ. You know, we're, we are given the riches of the world. Not, I'm not speaking of just money, but we have abundant life. And we're given that. We, are, we have eternal life. We have this great promise of our future. And we should live wisely. We should 
live conducting ourselves, working out our salvation wisely with fear and trembling. Because no servant can serve two masters. Either will he hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one despised. <coughs> you cannot serve both God and money. So this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying it to the Pharisees, and Jesus knows what's in our heart. He knows what's in their heart. You know, he could be looking at them, and they think <coughs> they can't see what they're thinking. But he knows what they're thinking. And he knows what they do when they're not around him, when they're in their own house. So Jesus goes on with a little uh, confrontation here. The Pharisees who loved money heard all of this and they were sneering at Jesus. And he said to them, you are the ones who justify yourself in the eyes of men, but God knows your heart. Wow. They were lovers of money. They were supposed to be stewards of God's money. But they came to the point where they viewed it as their money. And we we often teach and talk about how prosperity theology is not of God. How if a a preacher is um, trying to get you to give him all of his money and he's using it for himself. He's not past, He's not using it the way God wants it to be used. And it's very obvious. They're called prosperity theology. And he, and he twists the scripture to say, if you will give me a $1,000 seed or $10,000 seed, you will be extra blessed. Well, that's what these Pharisees thought. They thought, because we're so godly, we're rich. And because we're rich, we're godly. And Jesus is pointing that out to them. Going down, next verse, the law and the prophets were proclaimed until John. Since that time, the good news of the kingdom of God is being preached and everyone is forcing his way into it. It is easier for heaven and earth to disappear than for the least stroke of a pen to drop out of the law. The Bible teaches, we teach, that we're not under the law, that we're under grace. But what is Jesus saying here? The law doesn't pass away. And so there's not a contradiction here. There's not something that's forgotten. What he's saying is the law is the foundation. If we don't have the law, we are not going to know that we need a Savior. We are not going to know that we need grace. And Jesus is pointing out that people recognize, they they intuitively know that Jesus offers a good thing. And they intuitively know they want to have a good afterlife. They intuitively know they want to be viewed by God as their children and righteous. So everybody's trying to work their way into it. The problem is... So many people come up with the wrong ways. They follow the wrong ways. And they want to force their way into the kingdom when Jesus says, no, no, no. You know, here's a gate, and this gate only opens for one thing, and that's Jesus. 
and you can't go around and come through here. You have to come through here. And he slaps him in the face with this final scripture, this final verse. He says, anyone who divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery. And the man who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And they had taken the law of Moses and twisted it and made up all these excuses and, and systems and processes to allow for it. And Jesus, I mean, this is not the first time he said this. This is not the first time this comes up in scripture. But he's trying to get them to examine themselves. And we need to do that too. When we read the law, as I said, we're not on the law, but it, it needs to cause us to examine ourselves, examine our hearts. They, they would justify themselves, and that's what Jesus was really preaching against. They would say, we created the rules, we obey the rules, and therefore, you know, we're worthy. We're righteous. But Jesus tried to point out to them, no, 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 there's only one way, one truth, and one life. And no one goes to the Father except through me. It was very tough for them to, to understand and believe. When we were talking about what are um, Messianic Jews earlier, this, that's one of the things they struggle with, is that Orthodox Jews have not come to receive Jesus as the Messiah that's already come. So, um, let's move on to Luke 16, verse 27. Um, the backstory for this is um, the rich man Lazarus, and Jesus tells a story about a poor man who had been suffering all of his life and he died and he was taken to Abraham's bosom to heaven. And a rich man who had everything in this world, he had no troubles, he had a life of ease and he died too. But he was taken into to shield to hell. And there he could look and see how much torture he was in, but also he could see what a blessing that um, Lazarus was receiving. And Jesus tells us in, uh, oh, what verse is it? Well, we'll get down to it, but starting with uh, 27, mine doesn't have verse numbers. What's, what's the first couple words in 27? Abraham replied, I beg you, dear poor father, that you would send him to my father's house. Yes. Because he has five brothers. Let, let him warn them. So he wanted Lazarus to go warn the brothers. So that they will not come to this place of torment as well. And Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. <clears throat> Does that strike you as a little odd? I mean, Jesus is telling this... this uh, story, this lesson, he's giving this lesson, why doesn't Jesus say, let them listen to me? They've got me, I'm here, I'm preaching the word, why isn't he saying that? The thing that we forget is the Old Testament, the Mo Moses and the prophets 
have the whole gospel in it. It, it, all of that prophecy and all of those um, old chapters are geared towards the Messiah, the coming Messiah. So when the apostles were going around with Jesus and even immediately afterwards, they were using the Old Testament to bring people to Christ because the New Testament hadn't been written yet. They were living it out. It was being written as they lived it out, but they used the Old Testament. So this is what uh, Jesus is saying. Moses and the Old and the prophets testify of him in salvation. And it goes on, no father Abraham, he said, if someone goes from the dead to them, they will repent. Isn't this getting a little curious? Because we know the, the after story that Jesus did die and did get raised again. And here we are today. <coughs> how many of us when we share the gospel of Jesus, how he was how he was crucified, beaten, and buried, and raised again the third day, and was seen by hundreds of people and then went back to heaven. When we communicate that to people, how many of them say, Oh, now I got it. Okay, thank you, Lord. <laughs> Most people say, No. Sorry. I'm spiritual. I got my own way. So it's not true in and of itself that if someone who died went and preached the gospel, they would repent. Their hearts have to be prepared. They have to be ready. This is one of the things the Holy Spirit does is he goes and he seeks people out, softens their heart, baptizes their heart, so that they're ready to hear us when we come with the gospel. Jesus finishes up, he says, said to them, if they do not listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. So this is a, a prophecy that um, was revealing ahead of time that Jesus was going to die and be raised again. And that's the greatest thing, the resurrection I mean, your sin is atoned for. That's great. But the fact that Jesus was raised again, nobody, no other Savior, so-called Savior. <clears throat> so Jesus um, was still in Perea, and he went on to tell some other uh, parables, some of which we've already read in previous weeks, about the persistent widow. Um, and we, he also tells about the coming of the kingdom, but I want to pick up about the Pharisee and the tax collector. We're in Luke 18 now, verse 9. So remember, we're down in Jericho, and he's teaching about the Pharisee and the tax collector. In verse 9, it says, To some who are confident of their own righteousness and look down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. So he's standing in front of people, and he could tell that they had contempt in their heart for others. In other words, they were thinking, I'm, I'm better, I'm it, I got it all. Uh, I obey the law, I fast, I tithe, and look at that person there. You know, they don't do any of that. Um, you know, they made their bed, let them sleep in it. 
So this is the people that Jesus is talking to. Tells them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Two of the most beloved people. (laughs) The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you that I am not like the other men. Robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even this tax collector. The Pharisee, or the Pharisee said, I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I've got. Now who's going to know how much he's really giving? And the law really only requires that they fast once a year. So he's, he's really building himself up. He's patting himself on the back. And I think the challenge here is, have we done that? Do we sometimes do that when we're talking to other people? We kind of exalt ourselves and, you know, how good we are and what all the great things that we're doing. It's a slippery slope. It's easy to do. But beware. But the tax collector stood in the distance. He would not even look up to heaven. But beat his breast said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you, this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humble, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. We live in a day and age where people really like to brag about themselves. Um, you know, we have all of these internet postings and, and things, and, and it's easy to get carried away talking about yourself and exalting yourself. Um, it's also a slippery slope when we see God working in our lives, doing amazing miracles and, and amazing things. And we start to think, oh, I guess I'm, I'm God's favorite. I'm, I'm powerful, you know. God's working with me here. I got something special. And, and we walk around with entitlement, Christian entitlement. Totally opposite of what Jesus says. We are to have an attitude of humility. In fact, he warns us, if we exalt ourselves, we will be humbled. I believe it was last week we read how you're not, when you go to a banquet, don't go take the, the best seat. You know, sit in the humble place or in the back. He goes on to... Um, Tell a story, a parable about the vineyard workers, and you're familiar with it, you know. Um, they were hired at different times, and yet they received the same rewards. Getting down towards uh, the end of, say, verses 13, 14, says, But he answered, Friend, I'm not being unfair to you. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the man who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? We um, are guilty of this attitude towards Jesus at times. Come on, Jesus. I've surrendered everything. I'm doing everything. My house is yours. My car is yours. And don't I deserve a little more reward? Don't I deserve a little more favor than this guy? 
It was just standing around, bumming around, flying a sign, you know, not really intending on working, but does believe in Jesus. We can get kind of judgmental. We can get kind of proud. And the thing that we forget, salvation is from God. It's a gift. It's not anything that we earn. We all know this. But there's so many ways, so many little deceitful ways that we can think that we're worthy of this free gift. And we forget that it's a gift. Shouldn't God be able to give favor to that low-life person and not us? I mean, isn't he God? Doesn't he have the authority to make the choices himself? I think so. And he finishes up, so the last will be first and the first will be last. So just like in that story of the rich man and Lazarus, the guy that was, had comfort needs on the earth didn't in the afterlife. And the, and the guy that was suffering and had sores and had a bed, he had comfort afterwards. The first will be last and the last will be first. So uh, it's such a strong warning that we see time and time again from Jesus. Do not be proud. Do not be entitled. Um, I guess the simple way is pride is not of Jesus. It's not a fruit of the Spirit. When we read Galatians 5, 22 and 23, and we read about fruit of the Spirit, pride is not in that list. We are to be people of grace and humility. Um, just a quick note, while they're down in Jericho, and we're getting ready to head up to Jerusalem, way up in the upper corner there. So this is the trail they would take, and to climb 3,500 to 4,000 feet over about 13 miles. And that's about the elevation from of the Wolf Creek Pass, you know, from down to Lake Treasure Falls, mm-hmm. up to there. And just think about that, yeah. Um, and, and it was actually probably a little steeper because it was only 13 miles. The, the pass is more like 27 miles. So it's just kind of interesting to think how people going up to Jerusalem will be going up that trail. Okay. So I want to finish up with Jesus being getting sent to Bethany. And this is that story of uh, uh, Mary, Martha, and Brother Lazarus, where Jesus came and he, uh, Lazarus had died. And so Jesus came late, so-called late, um, late to the Jewish customs. He came four days afterwards instead of three days or less, and raised Lazarus from the dead in front of people. They saw it, they witnessed it. It was powerful. And going down to uh, verse 25, Jesus arises, arrives and he's getting ready to raise Lazarus and he encounters um, Mary or Martha. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. 
He who believes in me will live, even though he dies. And whoever lives and believes in me will never die. And he asked her, do you believe this? And that's my question today. Do we believe that? Do we believe that? <clears throat> we were just talking about Deborah. In her last days, she spent working here at the food pantry. I mean, she could have been sitting at home. But she came to love and serve people and give them food. And now she's with Jesus. And when you talk to her, it, there's no doubt in your mind that she believed that she would be raised again and that she would be spending eternal life face to face with Jesus. And, and that's the question before us today. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? The prospect of physically dying can be pretty scary if you don't believe this. Um, so, how did everybody respond after Lazarus was raised from the dead? Many came to believe it. Many, the miracle caused them to believe. They knew that a sinner, somebody that wasn't God, could not do this. But they just saw Jesus do this. Getting down to, well, I guess we're in John 11 now. Uh, turn over to John 11, verse 45. Therefore, many of the Jews had come to visit Mary and had seen what Jesus did, put their faith in him. But some of them went to the Pharisees and told them what Jesus had done. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees called a meeting of the Sanhedrin. What are we accomplishing, they asked. Here is this man performing many miraculous signs. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him. <laughs> That's the point, though. I love that. Everyone will believe in him. And then the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So remember, Rome was ruling over the Jews, but they had a special deal going on. The Jews could still be Jews and practice their Judaism as long as they didn't make riots and make too much trouble. But if they made too much trouble, Rome was going to come in and sack them. And so that's what they were worried about. They were worried about their position, their benefits. Then one of them named Caiaphas, who was the high priest that year, spoke up. You know nothing at all. You do not realize that it is better for you that one man die for the people than that the whole nation perish. He did not say this on his own, but as high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the Jewish nation and not only for that nation, but also for the scattered children of God. To bring them together and make them one, so from that day on, they plotted to take his life. So God has used, and he can use, non-believers to speak truth, to speak prophecy. And this is an example. Gaiaphas, a Jewish priest who did not accept Jesus as the Messiah spoke a prophetic statement that this one man would die for all and therefore all would be saved. And if they instead had uh, gotten rid of Jesus so that um, the Jews 
would just be wiped off and powerless, the gospel would not have taken place. Satan has been around in so many places over history trying to stop God's plans. But it always, always, always comes through. So, um, let us this week be focusing on that question of do you believe this? Do you believe this? And just talk to God about it. And let it resonate in your heart. <laughs> All right, praise God. Let's gather around and pray for one another.